All right, here we are. It's beginning, historic moment. And you're here for this historic moment. Do you know about this moment? It's our first time we've ever done an all-church group. And we planned this, began planning this almost a year ago, which I know is shocking, but we have been planning this, and so people have been asking us questions. Mostly the same question, different ways. Question, why are we doing this? And sometimes some people will ask, well, what is your strategic vision and three-year, three- to five-year plan with this? Some people will ask, do I have to join a group or can I just read the book? Some people have been enthusiastic. They've read it and they know already or they're enthusiastic just because they want to be a part of a group and they're just excited to have something to talk about. Then there's this great, I've loved these confused people just asking this very honest question. This has been so good because the title of the book, What If Jesus Was Serious, is deceptive. And they ask, really? Was Jesus joking? Like, wasn't he serious? Isn't that, like, they honestly asked this, and I thought that was great. So the question is, why are we doing this, this all-church group? And the number one reason, followed by the second even better reason, is we want to gather all the church in unity in this divisive season of history. Like, we just want to gather together in unity. Now, we're not all going to agree about what Jesus said or opinions about it. In fact, it's actually better that we don't all agree because then you might say, this is what I like to take seriously, and this is what I like to ignore. And that makes for a better conversation. So we want to gather in unity Focusing on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, that's, that's number one. But maybe even the next better reason is that we want to listen to Jesus and then put into practice what he says. We want to be a church, a community that listens to Jesus and does what he says. And that is what we want to be about. And so this is why we're doing this. All church group, get on the same page. And then hopefully, these are things we cannot three to five year plan, but we hope that in the process of gathering together, looking at Jesus' words, putting them into practice, God will be glorified. That's what we hope. And then we, we also say, God, if it is your will, will you, in the process of this activity, meet us and transform us? transform us as individuals and as a community. And then, God, may, again, you be glorified. May your light shine out. We'll read about that in weeks to come. So that's why we are doing this. But now I'm going to turn it back on you. I'm not going to do a show hands, so you're off the hook there. But question number one, are you in? Are you in with us to do this together? Will you bring yourself in to participate, to show up, as some have said? Are you in? Are you in? That's, that's it. But then second, maybe bigger question, because yes, you show up, but um, you're in, you're here, you're together. But second is, how serious are you about taking Jesus 
seriously. I mean, the whole subtitle of the book is about ignoring the things we love to ignore about Jesus. Are you serious that you would love for those to be exposed and brought up in your life and to then think, ooh, I can move more towards Jesus in this area? So, are you serious? And then third question, will you put, after you listen to Jesus, will you then put Jesus' words into practice? So in your group, in this time, you will hear things. Will you try these things out? Will you put them into practice? So that's the invitation in, and perhaps you don't want to do any of that, and we still will take you in, but we, we really want you to experience God through this process. That's why we're doing this. So let's begin. The Sermon on the Mount, this book, we are reading this book, Sky Giathani. If you haven't seen it, it's on the back table or in the parlor. You can have it. You can listen to it. Starting next week, Monday, on the daily practice, and listen to it. Um, but this book um, is about the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' teachings. Now, Sky Giathani is an author. He's giving some thoughts. You can agree or disagree with him. That's fine. Um, but it's about the Sermon on the Mount. And if you are wondering, what is the Sermon on the Mount? It's Jesus' most well-known teachings that were compiled by one of his disciples named Matthew. And it is found in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 5, 6, 7. So that three chapters is the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' teaching. Now also Luke gives a, a nod to the Sermon on the Mount in Luke chapter 6. You can read that too and see the similarities. But this is Jesus, his teaching. And we like how Matthew put it together orderly, succinct, pithy. Pithy? Maybe that can be a word you use in the next couple months. So, the Sermon on the Mount. That's what we're going to do. But have you seen the TV show The Chosen? Now you should raise your hand because I'm just curious. Some of you haven't. Some of you need to go home right now, download the app, and watch it because I was a late adopter like you. And now I love it. I think it's wonderful. The Chosen is a, an attempt through a TV show to fill out the details of Jesus' life. Not just the scripture stories and the things we have, but to try to tell more of the story. And of course, all of that is invention. It's made up. It's, it's, it's creating the story. So, you have to take that for what it is, but it's fascinating because we want to see Jesus in, in real flesh. So, take the Sermon on the Mount, for example. If you watch, it doesn't come until way at the end, second season, um, maybe the eighth episode. Sermon on the Mount is happening. Now, think about the Sermon on the Mount. Here's some questions that you should have answered in your life by now. How did all the crowds know to come and gather around Jesus that day. And how did Jesus prepare his words? What did he do to get ready to be prepared to give this teaching, this, this big teaching? Uh, how about, maybe different, like the crowds, they're there, but Different is, how often did Jesus teach? And did he say different things every place? Or did he go village to village and say the same thing over and over? 
You should have answers to these questions right now. And if you don't, it's okay because we don't know the answers, so you can just make up whatever you want, just like the Chosen did, <laughs> trying to help us think about what could have happened, right? So think about the Sermon on the Mount and these questions. The Chosen had to make choices how to depict this event, the Sermon on the Mount. And they chose um, perhaps a familiar to us in our United States culture experience. So they kind of portray it in this way, right? So if you see the chosen, they um, are going to do the Sermon on the Mount, and it is an event. They have to secure some land where it will happen, get permission from a guy. They have to um, they build a stage. They figure out crowd control. You know, so they are planning it as an event. And because it's this event, and that's the direction they went in, they also have to get the crowd there. And so we guess about that, but they have to make a choice. So they said, okay, the crowd was invited. And the way they invited was they wrote on pieces of paper, little flyers and posters, took them to town, handed them to people, nailed them up, and invited people to come see Jesus and hear him teach. Right? So this is what is happening for the event. There, it's, it's creating it in this way in the show that's familiar to us. Like, you think about how does church operate? You know, we, you know, make flyers and give them to people. We, um, we invite in those ways. We create the event with a start and a finish and figure out crowd control and lighting. I mean, all this stuff. So if you just apply that to Jesus and think about it, that's good. And it's, it's super fun and wonderful. Now, you have to think about all those choices and now think about the group you will be in for the next two months and all the things you have to fill in to figure out and understand Jesus' teachings. I mean, you get to participate in this activity of understanding Jesus' teachings and applying them to your life, right? So we get to fill in to our cultural context all this stuff. Think about this. So Jesus taught about lust. I know, it's church. We're lust, and he, he said some things about it, which I'm pretty sure lust then, 2,000 years ago, and lust today are the same. Right? We can, we can figure that out, that word, that concept. But you think about lust today with the internet and what's on there, Jesus and his people gathered had no idea what we deal with in that. But at the same time, we have no idea what they dealt with in lust and how it worked and why it was a deal for them. So we have to figure that out in our context. But the Jesus teaching about it is the same. It's, it's, it's covering all this time and place, even if the cultural context changes. I mean, the same thing goes for the lamps, you know, light a lamp. How many of you even know how to light a lamp? No one raised their hand, so I'll take that as none. You know how to turn on a switch. I mean, and then in our world, our context, we can't even imagine darkness. Because all night long, the streetlights are on, just blaring light everywhere. So even if I turn on, cover my lamp with a bushel, which I'm not sure what that is, it won't matter because the streetlights are still creating light. So again, we are taking these things 
and bringing them into our context. We're sorting it out. We're figuring it out. And so, friends, I hope this next two months that we engage Jesus' teachings. We talk together, we learn, and we make effort to apply and put into practice these things. Okay, the whole reason I actually wanted to talk about Chosen was to show you a clip, which is my favorite clip, perhaps. Maybe not. I can't say favorite. Um, But here in The Chosen, there's a scene of Jesus preparing what he's going to say at the Sermon on the Mount. Now, again, think about this. What did you think when you came in the door today? Did you think Jesus, being divine God and human, fully God, fully person, together, that he just spoke and it just came out amazing? That would be a good way to think. But also, maybe he was human and he was figuring it out and sorting it out. And this is what is super fascinating to me, not just for this um, context, but Jesus, how did he know? We're getting way off topic. How did he know that he was the Son of God? I mean, at what point in childhood, teenage years, adulthood, what was his process for coming to know that he was the Son of God? And how did he commune with God the Father in heaven the same as we do or different than we do? So these are the fascinating questions that we bring to the story and wonder about. And of course, again, the chosen had to make a choice. So they made this scene where he's meeting with Matthew to work through the order, what he's going to say, how he's going to say it, and he's preparing together with him. And I love it, so you're forced to watch it. Let's take a look. Let's get back to work. How many sections are we up to? Nineteen. He's a little incomplete, huh? There is something about 20 that is more symmetrical. You could always shorten it to 18. Brevity is usually preferred. Which section stands out to you the most? Do not be anxious about your life, of course. Are there any sections that concern you? Give me your honest opinion. I know I don't have to say that, but... The whole truth. You know I won't be offended. It's... Well... Very striking. But if I do the math in terms of good news and bad, it seems like there's not a lot of good news. Anyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery. Doesn't that make everyone an adulterer? If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Wouldn't that lead to an entire population of people walking around with only one eye? Oh, and this one. If anyone were to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Mm. Trees that bear bad fruit being cut down and torn into the fire. The gate is narrow and hard that leads to life. Depart from me, I never knew you. Do you realize how heavily laden your sermon is with these kinds of ominous pronouncements? I haven't even named half of them. It's a manifesto, Matthew. I'm not here to be sentimental and soothing. I'm here to start a revolution. Well... Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That isn't exactly... I said revolution, not revolt. I'm talking about a radical shift. Did you think I was just going to come here and say, hey, everyone, just uh, keep doing what you've been doing for the last thousand years since it's been going so great? 
Also, there's the beginning and the end. What about the beginning? My concern about the beginning is more logistical. Right now, your opening line is, you are the salt of the earth. I'm worried, particularly if it is windy, or if the crowd is larger than we expect, that people near the back will hear, salt the earth, and it will immediately call to mind a negative connotation. The Punic Wars? Yes. When Rome destroyed Carthage, they sowed the city with salt to make it barren and to curse anyone who would rebuild upon it. I share your concern about the opening line, but for different reasons. I think the sermon needs some sort of introduction, an invitation into what, as you have rightly pointed out, will be a complex and at times challenging set of teachings. What does you are the salt of the earth even mean? I'm not good at metaphor. Salt preserves meat from corruption. It slows its decay. I want my followers to be a people who hold back the evil of the world. Salt also enhances the flavor of things. I want my followers to renew the world and be part of its redemption. Salt can also be mixed with honey and rubbed on the skin for maladies. I want my people to participate in the healing of the world, not its destruction. Then why not just say that? <laughs> Come on, Matthew. Allow me a little poetry, huh? Not everyone is like you. Some people like a little flavor. Read the songs of David or, or Solomon. I'm not going nearly as far with metaphor as Solomon. I'm reading him next. Well, good luck. He's probably... <laughs> yeah. I told you. These things will make sense to some, but not to others. I don't want passive followers. Those who are truly committed will peer deeply into it, looking for truth. But I do agree with you. We shouldn't begin with salt. You make a valid point. Good work. So good. Jesus, just thinking about him as a person, figuring out how he's going to give his teachings, and that, that is amazing. And as we come, and Jesus is saying, I don't want passive followers, that's question to us today. Are you coming passively, or are you coming engaged? Willing to be challenged about what you've been ignoring and being challenged to Jesus' difficult teachings. I mean, we say we are followers of Christ, and here are his teachings, and the great question, do we even bother knowing them, let alone following them? You know, what gets in the way for us as we ignore and want to ignore Jesus? Um, this is, just imagine this is a present, a gift being given to you, and you just receive it, right? So you take it for what it is at face value, it is a gift, Right? And it is what it is as a gift. You don't know what's inside yet, but you say thank you and you receive it. But this box is a special box because inside this box is another box. And here's the problem with the Sermon on the Mount and with ignoring Jesus is we're like, well, yeah, I love that gift, but I want to know really what, what is the definition of that word before I do it because I, I want to follow Jesus accurately. And so you kind of stall out doing anything about it. And then, of course, this box, as you probably imagine, has another box in it. And you're just like, 
okay, well, I get the big idea, I mean, I get it, but now that, I understand that, but there's something more I need to know before I do anything. And the boxes just go on and on, and I hope somebody will put these back together for second service. But you just keep going with these boxes, digging and studying and learning, and in the inside, at the end, it was all that stuff all along, and you needed to listen and put it into practice all along. You're going to hear us say over and over in the next few months, it's probably that we don't need to know more. We need to apply what we know, right? And we just, we take this gift from Jesus and apply what we know right now. Maybe there'll be more and we'll learn more, and that'll be great, but we can also apply it right where we are at. So, in my last concluding thing is um, just simply the word, blessed are. Ah, Those words right there are a great example of this big box that Jesus is just handing over, blessed are. And then he says all these things, blessed are. And he's turning the world upside down. And it's this invitation for us to enter in and begin unpacking this. And it will be an unpacking for a lifetime. Now, I just said, take the words as they are and start there. So prepare yourself if you want to just stay there. Or if you want to dig deeper, I have another book for you to read. Um, This is, you know, Daniel Fouche, Stant Latour. This is his book, Lives of Unstoppable Hope. And in this is his reflection on the Sermon on the Mount through the season of his daughter's second second daughter's birth and first couple years. And if you know, Inara struggled with health and all kinds of things in the hospital. So he is writing this book from that place. And Daniel is like a Greek, Latin, Hebrew, every language possible in the world scholar. And it is insightful. So I'm going to about to tell you all things that Daniel just wrote in here and has told me. Because this blessed Sometimes you'll open your Bible and you'll read, you know, some version will say, ooh, happy are, or fortunate are, or blessed are. And there's different ways people have translated that. Now, all those are good and fine. I think it's great. Those are starting points. Those are the entry points into the blessed are Sermon on the Mount beginning, that introduction Jesus worked so hard on. But Daniel will tell you, as he scolded me once for, happy are, fortunate are, lucky are. Those are all part of the Latin influence, or the Latin language influence of Rome. Because the Latin, which we get beatitude, beatitus, Latin, beatitus, does mean those things. Fortunate are, lucky are. But Jesus was speaking in Greek, probably speaking in Aramaic even, but it, he had a totally different definition of what he was saying when he said, blessed are. Now, again, it's totally okay to be like, yes, I take that and start there. Fortunate am I. Yes, that's, that's okay. That's good. And Jesus, I think, had something deeper. And Daniel, in looking at the Greek, he'll say, Greek word, blessed are. Makarios, Makarios. And the, the root word is makar, and then 
ios is just to make an, an adjective, but makarios is this word for blessed are. And the root makar, don't know where it comes from, but it is, the, it is a word that means big. So, like, when you, we have another word that comes down in a big sense, like mega. That same root is in there, makarios, mega, big. So, makarios, big. And I love how Daniel, maybe I should just read this because I'll mess up Daniel's words. But Daniel said that makarios most likely means embiggened. Embiggened, enlarged, made bigger. And, this, and his, his thing for the whole of the Sermon on the Mount is this question of how do we live lives that are embiggened? And how do we participate in others' lives to embiggen their lives, to enlarge their lives? And that is right here where Jesus is saying, what is a big life? To accumulate things in this life, to amass wealth and power, status. Not in the Beatitudes. Jesus is like, what is a big life? A big life is to live and to live big where you are experiencing all of life, from the hardships to the joys and everything in between. So, as we begin this, it is an invitation for us to live enlarged lives and to participate in others with that. So again, if you're imagining Jesus, he's God coming from heaven down to earth, and what message does he have for us? What does he want to communicate? He wants to say, hey, this is my manifesto. This is how I created life to be. This is how I designed it. This is how you live a big life and a big community life. This is how it is, and this is how it looks, and this is how it happens. Jesus is trying to communicate this embiggened kingdom of heaven life that is here and now and continues on into eternity. So when you begin into this great poem of Jesus, that when he begins, blessed are, and you have this welcome from Jesus into the bigger life of the kingdom of heaven, will you step toward that and begin ruminating on it, letting it sink in and settle in, and let Jesus take you where he would like to take you? All right, hopefully now you know why we are doing this, that we just simply want to gather together in unity. We want to listen to Jesus' teachings and practice them. We want God to be glorified, and we want our lives to be transformed. And again, I ask you, are you in? And what will you do for the next couple months? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to earth to leave heaven and all the glories there to empty himself, to be one of us, a human. And I pray that you would, in this invitation, bring us in to an embiggened life, an enlarged life with you, that we would live the kingdom of heaven now. Teach us. Help us practice it. Help us encourage each other in it. 
And by your grace we go. Pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.